Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's great to see you again on, this, the first, uh, on the first uh, Sunday of this uh, new year, 2011. Chang San, the second head Dharma master of Bhagavan Buddhism, he said uh, in this way, the newness of the new year is not in the day, but in our mind. Hence, the true meaning of the greeting, the new year, lies in exerting ourselves with a fresh new mind in our spiritual practice and the public spirit. If therefore we take care of our new mind, then every day is a new day and the new year's day. If we fail to take care of our new mind, we will naturally greet the new year even though a new year has uh, arrived. I like this verse. Related with this uh, Dharma words, I would like to uh, share with you uh, one of the essence of the Buddha Dharma. Everything is of our mind's creation. I think you have heard this uh, sentence a lot of times before. If the whole Dharma, the whole Buddha's teaching that Buddha delivered for 49 years can be condensed in one sentence, this can be it. Everything is of our mind's creation. When I was in regular college, uh, I had a friend who became so happy after he met a beautiful girlfriend. But after several months after they got broken, after she left, he was so depressed for a couple of years. And a couple of years ago, a very famous Korean actress killed herself because a very malicious rumor started to spread out on the website and she could not endure that hardship. She thought her popularity was tainted. During the Great Depression or in, a lot, in many countries, a businessman or whatever person, when their fortune or riches got increased, then they become very happy or they lose some money, they become a little despondent. It happens all the time. So as we chant in the Harta Sutra, we chant, they do not appear or disappear, are not tainted, or pure, do not increase or decrease. From the perspective of absolute truth, neither is a coming or going, tainted or pure, it's just of our mind's creation. But actually, we live in the relative world. Whether it is material things like money or fortune or non-material things, human relationship, our integrity, fame, when they increase or decrease depending on our fluctuating situations, our mind, emotions goes up or down. Just like the waves in the ocean rise and fall. Buddha said, in this way, the waves of the ocean, it means our mind, the waves of the ocean are constantly stirred by the passing wind 
the passing wind means the object of our sense, our trans situation, uh, so to speak. That's how we live, how our average mind works in our changing situations. Just like uh, David, the, the king of Israel, the emperor Sun is a saintly Chinese king, Chinese emperor. He was of humble birth, and he made a living by making a pot, which has been considered in the occupation of the lower class. But even after he became a Chinese emperor, they say his mind remained the same. We know the situation of the Jesus. He was a prosecuted by many priests, and firstly prosecuted and accused and prosecuted and also by many Roman soldiers. But he constantly says, when, you read the, when we read the Bible, peace be with you. I give my peace to you. Actually, he lived in a very terminous life, a terminous situation. But his mind was not affected by that. I think one of the reasons why we practice, the point of the spiritual practice, is how can we transform our fluctuating mind into a constant one, which is independent from our changing situation, which we cannot help. If we can enjoy at the present moment, whatever the situation is, nirvana is absolutely right and here, right now. Depending on the situation, Shakamri Buddha defined nirvana in various ways. What does nirvana literally mean? Yeah, yeah. It literally means uh, near means uh, without or not. Vana means uh, blowing, so blowing out. The f the flame being extinguished. The flame means our desires, and that literally, the Sanskrit literally means the meaning of a near vana. But depending on the situation, many times uh, Buddha defined nirvana as uh, ashamkata. Ashamkata. That's Sanskrit means unconditioned mind. Unconditioned mind. Very beautiful definition. The mind that does not change in our changing situations. Sotezan, the founding master, uh, resided for a couple of years at the Bongne Cloister, at Bongne Hermitage. That's the place where he wrote the one Buddhist canon. One day, he heard a wretched shriek of a wild boar, because it was uh, shot by a hunter. And he said, after hearing that, once again, that means the hunter's gain, the hunter's profit, once again is another's loss. Another translation has it, when one thing gains, another thing suffers a loss. So just like this situation, our world as well as our life is uh, characterized uh, by the dualistic situation. 
We are living in the relative world. For example, if we buy some inexpensive food, and we may like that it is not expensive, but it can be expensive because the animals were ra raised in a very abusive environment. Or if we buy some clothes, it's made in Malaysia or made in Indonesia, it delights us that if it is inexpensive, but it can be inexpensive because it was made by sometimes by child labor or sometimes the labor union leader was executed because he tried to unionize the company employees. When the gain is another's loss, we live in this relative world. Have you ever heard of the Buddhist master, Won Hyo, the Korean Buddhist master? Yeah, probably, yeah. It was uh, one of the most uh, prominent uh, Buddhist uh, masters in Asia, who lived around more than 1,000 years ago. When he was in his uh, teens, he joined the Hwarang, which is a elite youth corps. Uh, he was uh, of the noble birth. After he was educated and trained, he fought a lot of battles and won a lot of them. He was promoted and he became a very proud young man. But at the age of 27, for the first time, he lost a battle where he lost his dearest friend with whom he risked his life so many times. It really devastated him. So after he lost the battle, he retreated himself to, to some closed space and he cried and cried, thinking of, his, uh, of the loss of his uh, dearest friend. One day after crying for many hours, he became completely exhausted in front of his friend's grave. And after pulling himself up, he thought to himself, while he was crying and so much saddened, he thought about, at this very moment, what are the enemies doing right now? And he could very easily envision, envision the kind of image of a banquet where the enemies sing and dance and talk louder. It's a kind of a wild party, yeah. drinking toast to each other, bragging about their feet and so on. When he thought of that image that really stirred his blood and inflamed his desire to revenge those enemies. But all of a sudden he realized the image that the enemy troops are having, are doing at that moment in his mind was just exactly what he had done so many times before. That's exactly what he did. For the first time, he so deeply realized because of the so many soldiers, the enemy troops that he had killed, 
because of uh, him. Their wives, uh, their mothers were so much saddened. For the first time, he realized. But as long as he's a soldier, he has to join the battle. He has no choice to win the battle. Eh? Just like uh, in our workplace, uh, one person is, uh, everybody cannot be promoted at the same time. Somebody must be demoted. Eh? So, the monk when he was uh, so deeply disillusioned and disheartened by the relative world. That's why he left the mundane world to become a monk. That's what happened at the age of 27. But uh, just like we, Heart Sutra said, from the perspective of absolute truth or emptiness, we may think, we tend to think they do not, they do appear or disappear, whether it's money or human relationship. They are tainted or pure, our integrity, our recognition remain not tainted or pure. They appear to increase or decrease. But that is illusion, that's what the Heart Sutra says. It is what happens in our mind, which is not the reality. This is the picture. Heart Sutra is a kind of a picture that's taken from the eyes of the Absolute Truth. I know one person, a, one Buddhist lay person, after he was demoted uh, at work, uh, he was uh, so depressed. His subordinate uh, became his boss. Uh, he really felt very sorry for himself and a little ashamed uh, of that situation. So he got depressed for a couple of uh, months uh, and he visited uh, one of my teachers, a very, uh, very old one Buddhist uh, minister. He told about the situation, and he, instead of saying anything, the minister said to him, why don't we take a walk in the temple court? It was uh, very late in the fall. There were, in the temple court, there grow you know, very beautiful flowers in the garden. They could, that man could see a lot of uh, poor roses in the chrysanthemums as well as uh, so many tiny flowers. And the old minister pinpointed uh, the flowers in the garden. So, do you see that tall flowers? Uh, how do you think about that? So, yeah, they are very beautiful. How do you think of those uh, little flowers? Actually, he did not know what the name of even that flower. But it they tried to do their best to absorb the sunlight because the tall chrysanthemum blowed the sunlight. So he replied, well, those little flowers are as beautiful as that, as these tall flowers as well. So my teacher did not say anything and he just entered her room. The point of her teaching is not only those uh, big flowers whose name that we are so much accustomed to, or those uh, small flowers are as beautiful as those ones. It is uh, our mind, our thought that discriminate, that 
pass a judgment. The nature, the truth itself, the realm of the Dharma world do not discriminate at all. Think about so many of our suffering or agonies we have in our daily life. Jealousy, comparison, imperiality, complex, disappointment, frustration. Many times it happens in our mind because we compare ourselves to others. Because of our dualistic mindset, we suffer ourselves. But the point of that teacher is uh, that's what happens in your mind. It is your thoughts, not the reality. That's the essence of the Heart Sutra or the, or the Buddha's teaching. So just like the Hebrew scripture, the sun shines not only on the good person, but also on the bad person. The rain falls not only on the holy person, but also on an evil person. When, when we go to the mountain, the shape of the tree, how the rocks looks like. Each and every rock is very different in terms of the size and its shape, but each and everything is very, very beautiful. They exist just as they are. So it's very, very important to constantly remind the truth that because of our, our own thoughts, we create many times our own misery. We, are, we should not be fooled, deluded by our own thoughts, which is not the reality. One another, one heard the story. So he became a monk at the age of 27. He practiced and learned the Dharma for a couple of decades, basically by himself. When he reached in his mid-40s, around my age, he decided his mind to go to China. At that time, it was a customary practice for many Buddhist monks and nuns to go to China to learn Buddhism. In those days, they cannot download the scripture, something like that. So it's a very long journey with a lot of uh, hardships. So at that time, the Korea was divided by three small kingdoms. He was born uh, in the Silla kingdom, located on the eastern side. So in order to take the ship to China, he has to cross the border of Baekje. That was the enemy kingdom. So during the day he rested in a hidden place and at night he, he walked to reach the seashore. One night, while he was walking under the moonlight, all of a sudden the moon was covered by a very thick cloud. The whole world became pitchy dark. To make matters worse, it started to rain. So in order to find some shelter, he almost felt his way to avoid uh, wind and uh, <coughs> rain. Finally, he found out uh, kind of some shelter which looked like a cave where he slept because very soundly because he was uh, so much exhausted. In the middle of the night, he woke up because he was very thirsty. The 
completely dark. So he just uh, fumbled uh, his uh, surroundings uh, to look to look for some water. Some some. It was a rainy night, uh, so he couldn't find out uh, some water. But finally, he could uh, get some kind of uh, some bowl or container, which is which he is uh, full of uh, rainwater. So he drank to his full, which was so sweet and refreshing. He fell asleep again. The next morning, as soon as he woke up, he looked around where, in order to know where he slept. He was shocked. It was a kind of a graveyard. It was a tomb where the village people put dead bodies. There are lots of dead bodies around him. And the bowl that he thought, which contained the water last night, was a human skull full of maggots. As soon as he saw those skulls, he started, he felt very sick and started to vomit. After a while, after he pulled himself up, he thought to himself, it's the same water. But last night, it was so sweet and refreshing. But today, the same model, after I see the image of the skull, he became sick and started to vomit. So he, for the first time, of course, he had read that sentence many times. But deeply in his mind and soul, he realized that everything is of, his, of one's mind. That was his first awakening moment. And he immediately composed a verse, it's a very well-known verse in Buddhism. When a thought arises, all dharmas arise. Would you say after me? When a thought arises, all dharmas arise. All dharmas means all phenomena in this physical world as well as in our mind. When a thought vanishes, all dharmas disappear. Dharmas disappear. He realized, really, everything relies in our own mind. Everything starts or resonates in our one thought. How do you think? The water in the Ganges River is very holy water or not? How do you think? Have you visited India? No, I haven't. No? Okay. <laughs> I've heard it that it is very holy. Yeah. It's a holy to Hindus. Uh, to many Western tourists, it's just a very unsanitary water. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the crematories are located along its bank. Is it auspicious or not to have a Buddha image in our dream? Yeah, <laughs> but to some other people, like some very conservative Christian, it is a neutral or can be a bad omen. <laughs> Think about that. In order to conquer the holy land. For hundreds of thousands of years, a lot of people were involved in very serious fight. Whether it's holy or profane 
or clean, dirty, it exists in our mind. It exists in our mind. But we conceptually know in our daily life we are so much fooled by that. We are so much deluded by our own thoughts that we created. The, I worked at one institute for 10 years. As I talked, I left there to join the One Dharma Center, the retreat center, uh, <coughs> last year. The registrar, the Reverend uh, Huang, she told me the story last year. After she moved to states as a minister, after several years, uh, she became very seriously homesick. But because of the visa problem, because of the legal issues, she could not visit Korea. So she really started to miss her fr friends, especially her teacher as well as her mother. But she could not go to Korea. So her mother and her teacher decided their mind, why don't we come to the States to see her? So one day she received a phone call that her mother as well as her teacher is going to come to Hawaii. So it's a, in the U.S. territory, she can go there. As soon as she answered the phone and received the news, she felt like she got completely well. Before that, for several years, she felt very feeble. She constantly said that she, she's not well. But after received that message, her, not just her mental or emotional situation, her physical body becomes very much different. It's a, a little good case, but there are lots of bad cases in our life. Because of one's thought, whether it is some disappointment or whatever things that affects our mind and body very seriously. So when we really realize everything is of our minds, then the scope of our freedom will really get enhanced, will become larger and larger. Then how can we, in our daily life, how can we break those delisting mindsets? How can we let go of our preferences? How can we drop our likes and the dislikes? The first task to enhance the scope of the freedom of mind is meditation. Meditation. It arises in our mind. It's just a thought. As long as we don't have many thoughts, we are not fooled or deluded by them. So Sotasan, the founding master of one Buddha, he said, all the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, all the saints and sages in whatever tradition, in whatever religion, they have all practiced meditation in order to get the, tame, the freedom of the mind. There is no exception in this truth. Meditation is needless to say very much essential. I think on a daily basis you sit uh, uh, 
in your house. Why do we, do we have so many thoughts? For example, we see the plant of deer, we see there are many leaves and uh, twigs, but it grows from one root. Because of a root comes out so many branches and leaves. The origin of our desires as well as our thoughts are our sense of self. Because our notion of selfhood comes out all kinds of desires and wandering thoughts. Just as we chant Harta Sutra, what is the content of a realization? What does the enlightenment mean? It is the realization of no self. So ultimately, in order to cut off all the desires and the wandering thoughts, the ultimate solution is to get awakened to our true self. Enlightenment is the ultimate solution, the ultimate anecdote to cure those diseases. So, from time to time, hold the koan and uh, ponder upon that. As much as important as these uh, practices, so-called practice in stillness, is uh, how can we live our life in our daily situations? Especially, we should be mindful to drop our picking and choosing attitude in a daily situation. The third patriarch of Zen Buddhism is a very, very well-known phrase. Sung Chan said, The great way is not difficult for those not attached to preferences. When neither likes nor dislikes arise, all is cruel and undisguised. Separate yourself from it by the slightest amount, however, and you are as far from it as heaven is from earth. If you wish to know the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set what you like against what you dislike is a disease of the mind. So in our daily life, uh, we should make an effort to, to drop our picking and choosing attitude. So very, very important. The Jisun Lee, she's a, a one Buddhist minister, she's an elementary school teacher. In order to improve uh, uh, the elementary school kids' uh, morality, basically to better uh, themselves, uh, she thought about for a long time how can she apply the Buddha Dharma in a classroom without any religious context. So in order to help, like to break their bad habits, or to drop their likes and dislikes. And uh, for example, she designated one day. This is the day when you are supposed to bring the food for lunch, the food that you dislike. It's uh, the teacher's order. They have to bring the food that they do not like. Or, there's one another day that was designated for the day for wearing the clothes that they don't like. So when we read the diary of the elementary school children, they say, well, actually they wear the clothes, the style of the clothes they had disliked, 
they realize it's not that bad. And who cares? <laughs> and my mother constantly asked them to eat more this or that healthy food, which they dislike. But when they actually eat that, it's also not that bad. They started to enjoy that plain taste. So even the elementary school children start to practice in their daily life, especially in picking, dropping the picking and choosing attitude. So that the scope of their freedom of mind can be enlarged and enlarged. The, the last story, the, two years ago, uh, when I joined the Tuesday night Philadelphia meditation group, the minister, Reverend Joe, gave a talk about what happened the previous Sunday. The Sunday, of course, I joined the Sunday service. And after the service, we celebrated some members' birthday party. After the birthday, a candle was blown out. And one youngster very teasingly asked the Reverend Joe, Reverend Joe, why don't you come to the stage and sing and dance? They all knew the minister is a very shy and introvert. But to our surprise, without any hesitation, he moved to the stage and sang kind of a very modern hip-hop song and danced to the music. They really surprised us. So anyway, anyway everybody was very much delighted. But on Tuesday, he gave a talk on that experience. That was a very much important practice. He was really reluctant to go and show himself in front of a large congregation. <laughs> Would you read that diary? That's what he wrote, which I translated in English. Yeah. There is a Korean. There is a Korean saying, like a boat heading to the slaughterhouse. This expression is used to describe a situation when someone is doing something that they really, really do not want to do. When I was asked to sing a song in front of many people, I felt the same way. I became very tense. All the temple members were watching me, waiting for my reaction. I was nervous. I did not want to break the merry atmosphere. I decided to sacrifice myself for everybody else's amusement. I sang a song and danced as if I were crazy. I used this opportunity as part of my practice. One interesting discovery was that during my singing and dancing, I felt a huge liberation. I felt like I had become free from some burden that I had been carrying for a long time. I became free from a weight, my own idea of myself, that made me shy and silent. Originally, I, as well as all other people in the world, are neither shy nor bold, neither introverted nor extroverted. It is true that during the 20 odd years of my life, my living circumstances and personality made me shy. I was trapped by that idea. Even though I already learned and understood clearly that my original nature is not shy or bold, I have nevertheless habitually lived like a shy introvert. When I sang and danced, I let go of my ego. Uh, all, at that moment, I was not different from the second patriarch who had cut off his arm in front of his teacher, Bodhidharma. There's a Zen saying, which means when you stand on the edge of a cliff, take another step forward. When I took another step toward the unfamiliar world, I felt a great liberation. It was a giant relief. Okay, thank you.
He's a very young minister in his mid-twenties. And in our daily life, our determination to drop our picking and choosing attitude is very, very important to practice as much as sitting meditation or working with the koans. So the conclusion, thoughts are just the thoughts. It's not the reality. We should constantly remind ourselves. We are not supposed to be fooled and deluded by that. And we should remember how much dreadful it is if our thoughts dictate the course of our lives. So the remedy is just like you have done, try to keep practice sitting meditation on a regular basis, whether it's 30 minutes or one hour, and work with the koan and the study. But as much as important things in our daily life, we should, the situation, individual situation is very different. So let's find out to where our likes and dislikes are hung. And in those real situations, drop our picking and choosing attitude. Then we can enjoy the nirvana at the, at the present moment always. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much and Happy New Year again. <laughs>